Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. Cheers. All right, today we're looking at the real deal part two. All right, so last week I shared on what it means to be the real deal, about being the real deal. I spoke about how I ordered a remote control plane online, and when it came, it was not what it was supposed to be. All right, and it, and it rocketed my mind, this thought from that, that I never want to be what I'm not supposed to be. And the truth is we've, we've got all these things that hit us throughout our lives. These, we struggle with things like um, that hold us back from really being uh, all that we can be, especially if you're a Christian, right, being the real deal. But in Christ Jesus, right, if we have that next slide up, in Christ Jesus, go back, to, back, back a slide there, your whole self, this is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. Okay, this is the most amazing thing about last week's message is this is what happens if you become a Christian. So if you're watching today and you're not a Christian, get hope, get excited because you can be a Christian and this can what happen. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off. It was literally cut off. God cut away the power because that's what circumcision is. It's a cutting away of the flesh. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ Jesus. So it's the, the good news of last week's, last week's message was that Jesus Christ has placed in you a power to cut away the power that holds us to sin and just horrible things that hold us back. That was last week's message. But there, there is more that we need to know about being the real deal. So this, this week, we're looking at the real deal, part two. Let's get straight into this because it's exciting. Now, a couple years ago, not long after I'd become a Christian, I was up holiday, holidaying back home in Queensland in my family's hometown called Rockhampton. And who knows in Queensland, right, that the further north you go, the more likely there are crocodiles in the river. All right, who knows that? That's, what, that's the reality of Queensland. Now, Rockhampton is classified as central Queensland, but let's just put it out there right from the get-go. Everyone knows that, that in the Fitzroy River, which has two sides, they have the north side and the south side called the north side of the Fitzroy and the south side of the Fitzroy. They were very original when they came up with that name. And, and we all know that there's a barrage that separates the north to the south. On the south, it leads to the ocean. And in the south side of the Fitzroy, there are no mistakes. There are crocodiles. Everyone knows there are crocodiles in the south side. Right? They put a wall in to make the water fresh on the north side, so there's a water supply. And there is supposed to be. Come on. Who knows what I'm talking about right now? There's supposed to be no crocodiles on the north side, yet they still got the signs up saying swim at your own risk. There could be crocodiles in the north side. And that's the north side, and the further you go north, there's, there's always a chance that you're looking at crocodiles. So one summer's day after church, there's like 10 of us young adults, it is a hot, boiling summer's day, and we need to jump in some water. Everyone say water. Water. Yeah, that's right. That's with the Ethiopian accent that I can't do. 
water. Yeah, my friend. Yeah. All right. So we needed to jump in some water. And then one of the guys is like, hey, I've heard of a rope swing a little north, a little north at a place called Byfield, about an hour's drive north. So we all jump in the car, two cars, 10, 10 young adults, crazy, right? We, all, we, we, we drive an hour north. All right. You know what, I'm, you know what happens when you go north, right, in Queensland? So we're driving north <laughs> and we, get, we all rock up to this beautiful, beautiful river. It is glorious. Like, it looks a bit sketchy. It's, like, remote, right? There could totally be some things that we don't want to say out loud there. And we're looking at the river, and we're, that, that is beautiful water. And then there's the rope swing. And that's even more glorious because we know what we can do. We can just swing out and land in the water. And all ten of us line up on the river bank, and we're all looking in at this water. None of us are moving, though. All ten of us. You know, like, sometimes everyone, some, there are moments in life when you can get the same thought as somebody else. We are all in the same mind. Who is jumping in first? <laughs> Who's going to jump in first? Don't you love it? We're meant to be friends. But we're all like, hey, you, you're going to go? You're going to go? Effectively, do you want to be eaten first or do you want me to? Uh, you know, like that's, that's what's happening here. And then there's this one guy. Because we were there like 20 minutes before someone's just like, nah, this one guy, Timmy Dremel. Love this guy. He's just like, I'm doing it. We drove an hour. He, he climbs up the tree to the edge part that's been carved out so you can put your foot in there. He grabs the rope and we watch him swing out and then land in the water. And we're just all waiting for him to come up because who knows, we're all sitting there like literally thinking, is he going to come up? Because like no one wanted to get in first. And then, of course, he comes up. Don't worry, this isn't a horror story. He comes back up out of the water. He's totally fine. He proves to us all that it's fine to get in the water. He swings out. He comes, he, he comes back in. He goes again. And then I would like to tell you, church, that I was second. In fact, I would like to tell you that I was third. I'd even be happy to tell you that I was fifth. But you can be assured I was at the latter end of ten. <laughs> I waited for everyone to get in the water. And then I'm like, all right, all right, it's time to, to prove your manhood, Chris. All right. And so I get up into the tree and then I look down and even though there was a crowd of evidence... There were people in the water. There was people everywhere in the water now. Probably nine, not giving you where I was in the line. All right, there's a crowd of evidence that it's fine to get in the water. But what went through my mind is, what if it's me who gets eaten? And it took me a long time to jump in the river. Look at this, look at this scripture, church, because this, this is good. In Hebrews... So we're going to get a teaching from the Bible this morning. In Hebrews 12, 1, the writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, stuff that just gets in our way, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There is so much evidence, church. That Jesus Christ works. You can, you can hear about it anywhere. You can scour the internet. There is testimony after testimony, miracle after miracle, healing after healing. There is so much evidence. Do not be fooled. There's so much 
evidence. There's a crowd of great witnesses that Jesus Christ is real, 100% real out there in the world. Yet it can still be hard to jump in to Jesus. But here's the thing. Once I jumped in the river, the quality of that day increased. My day from that point onwards and the day for everyone else from that day onwards increased significantly. We had such an amazing day and a great tale to tell. It got better and better. Generally speaking, genuinely speaking, church, quality is made from a hard substance. You know where I'm going this morning, church. Years ago, when I bought my Saab convertible, I, uh, I rocked up to church one day and there was a new guy in church and he was a Saab dealer. And we got talking because he saw my Saab. And so we had this to, to con- in relation. And he starts telling me about my particular Saab 9.3 turbo convertible. He was saying, what made that the most, the, the, not the, just the Saab, but the convertible of its time of the utmost quality. Nothing else came close to this particular model because they put reinforced steel bars in the frame up around the window he was telling me that no other car of that generation if it was to flip not that we should flip cars church just in case don't go and test these things out either okay that's why they've got test dummies for that he was saying that if you flipped you would be fine because it had the hardest metal known in cars at that time in its frame They were making sure that if anything happened in a soft top, the people inside would be safe. But it required something harder than anything else out there. What made it quality was the harder metal that they used compared to other vehicles. What often separates the real deal from the cheap or the mid-range or the knockoff is the quality of the product. But to get the quality, it always requires something My first message last week was about encouraging you that Jesus Christ has put in you the power which can cut off that which is powerful already in our lives, but that causes us to sin. There was an an exciting message in that, that, that it's Christ in you. But today I want to go further and I want to share the difference between the cheap model and the true quality so that we will do everything we can, that we will pay the cost required that we go after and want the true quality, that we would go after the real deal. So if you're ready to hear this message, we're just going to jump straight in because I've got some scripture for you that we need to read, we need to grab. If you're watching online, write down these references. Take notes because this is amazing what Jesus Christ is about to show. All right, let's just go straight to it. We're reading John 12, the Gospel of John 12. We're going to read 20 to 24. And here's the deal. Here's some contacts for you, right? Jesus has just rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. People grabbed palm leaves and they were putting it down in front of Jesus. They were celebrating and singing Hosanna, Hosanna, but praising Jesus for coming. And this this happens. This is a festival. He was going up for a festival. There's a festival that's happening. This is the context of where we pick it up. Now, here we go. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. All right, so some God-fearing non-Jewish people, but they believed in the God of the Jews. They came to Philip. Everyone say Philip. Philip, with an English accent, please. 
Philip? All right, we can continue now that I've heard you say that. Cool. <laughs> they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip, in turn, went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Jesus replies, this is where it gets weird. He replies, this is, this is our beloved Jesus. He replies, I love you, Lord. Come on. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I asked somebody a yes or no question, I was not anticipating a metaphorical, unless a seed of kernel falls to the ground and dies, it produces. I was, I'm not generally expecting. Why, what was going through the disciples' minds when Jesus gives this message? Why does he start speaking about kernel sanders and wheat peaks? Like, what's going on with, this, with his reply? And here's the most amazing thing, because what Jesus is doing is he's actually about to reveal something extremely powerful, yet sad, to his disciples. I'm just, just, you've got to picture this. Over here, just imagine for a moment, you've got some Greeks, all right? Just, Greeks are great people. I'm just, I'm just talking about the, the ones that are referenced to in, in the Bible. So this particular group of guys, we're using scripture. Some Greeks over here. Then you've got Philip. Right, and then you've got Andrew over here, and he's standing next to Jesus. All right, and then the Greeks are that they're like, Oh, hey, check it out, there's Philip, he knows Jesus. So, like, hey, dude, come here. And so, Philip comes over, and they're like, We want to see Jesus. And Philip's like, One minute, and then he's like, All right, cool, I know Andrew's even closer to Jesus. So, all right, (laughs) so Andrew, these Greeks over here want to meet, you know, the boss, they want to meet Jesus. And then, so, Jesus, so then Philip. And Andrew, he's like, all right, you come with me. We'll ask together because now there's like support in a crowd. Okay, all right, we're going. Jesus, can these Greeks meet you? This is the truth. There's a massive difference between those Greeks and these two disciples. And here it is. You have to understand it right from the very beginning. I'm not being blasphemous here, but at this point in time, Jesus is a celebrity. Jesus is a celebrity. Everywhere he goes, people are being healed. This is actually happening. There's no one like him in the entire globe. People want to stand next to him. They want to see him. They want to meet him. But there's a massive difference between the disciples who are following Jesus and these Greeks who rock up. Now, they believe in God. They're at the festival But they want to stand next to Jesus. Why? What is going on here? Jesus is saying that some people are only in this world for themselves and are not willing to follow Jesus. There's a massive difference. Now, he's not saying this because he's like, those Greeks will never follow me. He's exposing a reality in the heart of people that all mankind has to face at some stage. And we literally can change, but we need to learn how to change. And so he's highlighting two different people groups at the moment, two different hearts. And he says a kernel of wheat, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... 
it remains only, it, it, it produces nothing more. Do you know what a kernel of wheat is? It's an edible seed. An edible seed, right, has two uses. You can, one, eat it. Mmm, it's good. It's done. That's it. That's the, the, the entirety of its life. It ends then. Or you can take the seed and you can plant it in the ground and it can rise up. It literally dies to itself because who knows that when a seed grows up, you don't see giant seeds in the ground. You see something new. He's saying unless a seed dies to itself and becomes what it's meant to be, which is something new, it grows up to become a harvest of seeds 30, 60, or 100 times what it would have been if it was only used for itself. He's saying that there's, this is like humanity. This is people. Likewise is a life. We can use our life and everything in it to feed ourselves, Or we can plant ourselves in Jesus. We can get close to Jesus cling to Jesus, live how he lives, and listen and breathe out his teachings like he does. If we are planted in Jesus, we can then end up becoming a fruit that feeds thousands. There is a massive difference between those Greeks and these disciples. In John 12, 25 to 26, he goes on, He explains it to us. I'm not just coming up with this. It's in Scripture. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Now, yes, yes, Jesus is speaking about himself here, but hang on. There's more. He's he's, he's showing a big picture. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. He's showing the difference. He's like, you guys, they just want to jump over here and they want to have a selfie with Jesus and they want to put it up on Facebook and they want to be like, check it out. Hey, everyone, look, we met Jesus. They're going to do a video blog about it, chuck it up on YouTube, and then they're going to say at the end of their clip, hey, make sure you like and subscribe and press the little ding button so that you get notified every time we put up a video about ourselves so you can watch me. You see, I'm not saying that YouTube's bad. I'm saying I'm trying to bring out a heart here of a different context of what's going on between two different peoples. These disciples had literally given up their lives. One was a tax collector. He's like, see you later, tax collecting. I'm following Jesus. One was a fisherman. A couple were fishermen. We had zealots, political people following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying get away with your career. I'm saying that they had given up their lifestyle to follow God to follow Jesus. They were of two different caliber. He's proving the difference between the disciples and those, those Greeks who were just after the, the moment to stand next to and jump off the fame of Jesus. But here's the real deal. If we want to be the real deal, the real deal follows. The real deal follows Jesus Christ. In John 12, 23, this is at the end. So Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is really big. When I read over this again, I was like, wow, the hour has come. Okay. You know what glory is? Glory is attractive. Glory is desirable. 
You think about when a, a footballer kicks a goal. Every eye in the arena and on TV watching the game is on that person. When your team wins the grand final, it doesn't matter if you're in the team or if you're a supporter of the team. It's like, glory, my team, my team. Glory is attractive. You want to be in it. You want to stand next to it. It is understandable that people would want to stand next to Jesus because all eyes were on Jesus Christ. But check this out. He's saying the hour has come. I mean, it wasn't actually there yet. It was coming. The, the hour for him to be glorified wasn't in all the miracles. It wasn't in his preaching. It wasn't in all the things that he was doing. His actually glory was in the victory, which was the cross. The cross, yes, sir. The cross is the most glorious thing that Jesus did. Oh, everything he did was glory. Okay, come on, guys. You've you got to hear me out, right? But well, we're talking about people's hearts here. The perception. They were only attracted to Jesus because everyone was looking at Jesus. And so if they stand next to Jesus, they've got a story to tell. And what happens is people start looking to them. But there's a massive difference because God's glory, Jesus was to be glorified on the cross. Why? Because what Jesus did on the cross literally paid for your sins. Done, capiche, no more. And then he rises again, proving that it's completely paid for because it can't hold him down. It couldn't hold him down. Your sins couldn't hold Jesus Christ down. If you've got a problem with sin this morning, you're in the right place. You've come to Jesus Christ because your sins can't keep you down if you've got Jesus living in you. It's amazing. The glory of God was on the cross. But it was hard. Oh, come on. You know where I'm going, right? It was hard for Jesus to go to the cross. And likewise, anyone, here, here's, here it is, here, here we're going, we're coming into the end zone. What would it be like if you had to stand next to Jesus while he's on the cross? What would it be like to be one of his followers when everyone's shouting out, crucify him, crucify him? You see, it was so hard for Jesus to go to the cross, but it's also so hard for the disciples to be disciples, to be the ones following Jesus. Because I tell you what, there was no Instagram photos of Jesus that day. There's no one saying, check it out who I'm with. No, because it would have been so hard to be a follower of Jesus. Can you follow Jesus when times get hard? Can you follow Jesus when times get hard? Wow. It's difficult to be a follower at times. But here's the truth that we all need to realize, because this isn't a somber message. This is exciting. Because let me just tell you about hardship. Whether you've got Jesus in your life or you don't, you're going to get hardship. At some stage, you could be a billionaire. You're going to get a hardship. Like, like, let's not fool ourselves. You're better off doing hardship with someone who's harder than hardship, who's over it, who's the name. If, hardship is just a name, and then we have the name above all names, which is Jesus Christ. You're better off doing it with someone. Can you stand next to Jesus when other people are putting social pressures on your life for standing next to Jesus? Don't worry, it's an exciting message. It gets good. It's just that Jesus is revealing something we all need to know here. In John 12, 42, we're getting to the end of the chapter of John now. 
This isn't Jesus speaking. This is John speaking. And he's bringing out a word of knowledge that was given to him as he was writing the Gospels years and years later about this particular moment. And God gives him this revelation of what was happening in that crowd at that time. John writes this, yet at the same time. So this, the festival's happening. All this is going on. And yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not openly acknowledging their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. You see, the Pharisees were applying social, political pressure, career pressure. And so there were people who are believing in Jesus, but they couldn't acknowledge their faith about Jesus openly, right? Because of, they feared the pressures of society over their own convictions. And, and, and it tells us why. John writes, this is big, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now, this is a real hard cupcake to eat, right? Because, because no one wants to think that they love human praise more than God's praise, especially if we are a believer today. You know, if you're sitting in the basket that you're not a Christian, you could be like, okay, well, what does this mean to me? But to those who are in the basket called Christian, you're like, don't say to me that I love human praise more than mine. Well, I can tell you that there have been times in my life where someone's given me position, I mean, pressure, pressure, because, because I stand by what the Bible says about something that they don't want to be true. And I, want, I just have this moment that I want to pull back. I want to peel myself into my little turtle shell and not, not let them know that I'm a Christian. And what am I doing in that moment if I were to do that? Is I would literally, literally in that moment, I would be, want, I'd be choosing their praise over God's praise. That's, that's actually what's happening. That's the truth inside the shell there. That's what's happening there. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is if you follow him and you have a moment like that, you just pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you're like, all right, I'll do better next time. And you grab hold of Jesus' robe and you keep following him. You keep following him. Even in Jesus, when you mess up, it's all good. All right, not that we go and live in sin, but that we know, we know that him inside us gives us the power to get back up and keep following him. Here's the thing. Jesus could not, at this point in time that we know of, because we've only got that account, he couldn't change the hearts of those Greeks because they weren't following Jesus. You see, it's following that is key to real change. That's what you want to remember from today's sermon, that following Jesus is key to real change because we're all bound to make mistakes once in a while. I made one months when I got married to Eve. No, no, hold on. No, I never made a mistake when I got married to Eve. Totally messed that up. No, she probably made a mistake when she married me. No, you did not. The point is we make mistakes from time to time, right? But if we're following Jesus, <laughs> then we will eventually change. Who we are will change. We'll go from glory to glory. And what we stumbled on yesterday, we won't stumble on today. What we stumble on in three days' time, we won't stumble on in 60 days' time. Because what God does on the inside, because we're following Him, we're being shaped by Him, molded by Him, we're being teachable. Oh, if you could be one thing in this world, be teachable. 
It's following Jesus that causes real change. You gotta hold on. I love it. For those of you who did Alpha with us this term, Munuja, we did Alpha and there was on there was one um, example that just I loved. When when you're on a train and it goes into a tunnel, right? And it's dark inside and you can't see anything ahead of you. You don't rip up the ticket and jump off the train. No, you stay on the train because the train's on tracks that go through the tunnel and outside the other side. When you're with Jesus, you stay on the train. You jump in the river and you stay in the river because the river's going somewhere, whereas the bank stays where it is. Some people just want to, they, 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 there's, there's this thing, right? We want, to, we want to get to the river. We want to sit by the river. We want to get our picnic baskets out by the river. We want to have our picnic run, lunch, our roasts and our olives and our feta cheese. We want to sit there in the cool of the river, but we never jump in the river. But the river's the place that Jesus is in. The hardship, it actually is a good thing because this is the thing about hardship, right? The real deal is quality, but to get the quality requires hardship. And hardship is not something to be discouraged, despised, or complained about. It is to be recognized as a quality-increasing mechanism. Here it is. It's a beautiful thing. Hardship is a quality-increasing mechanism. You know, when I first came to Kingston City Church, which is the other campus that we have, Wyndham City Church and Kingston City Church, when I, when I rocked up there eight years ago, they didn't, there was a particular season when they didn't have a youth pastor. And Pastor Dan took me out for breakfast. We had bacon and eggs at a, at a cafe in Hampton. The surroundings were good. The food was good. And then he says to me, we need someone to run our youth ministry. And at that time, there was probably about 30 kids rocking up to it. And, and then and he was just, I was just like, okay, okay, it's a big church. It's kind of attractive. I'm, being, I'm just going to stand out, put myself on a limb here. It looked attractive to become a leader in the church. It really did. And so it wasn't necessarily extremely hard. For me to say, okay, Danny, I'll take on the youth ministry. Now, I mean, I'm not a prideful man, but I'm just being honest with you. I like to think I'm not a prideful man, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, there was an attraction to saying yes. I could see the attraction in becoming a leader. But a year and a half afterwards, I took the youth, which was growing, and we took them on a youth camp. And on the youth camp, three kids did something that you, I would never, I would never wish upon any youth ministry. We were in a conundrum. We were like, what do we do in this scenario? We had a moment that had never been, we'd never dealt with before. I'm a young leader and life just got extremely hard for me. And then on top of that, Pastor Dan had to make a decision in what to do regarding the families of the kids and the wider co the community and the, and the youth group and the church. There was a big lot for him to think about. And in the midst of it all, he needed to make a decision. And he made a decision that I didn't like at the time. Don't worry, he'll re-watch re this video. He'll see what I'm saying. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything bad about Pastor Dan. I had this moment where I'm like, I had to confront his viewpoint over my viewpoint, and I didn't like it at the time. And as I walked out, I realized I've got a choice now. It's not so attractive being a youth leader anymore. I've got to deal with this situation, and I've got a choice. Do I, do I stand by Pastor Dan, even though it's something that I didn't think that I agreed with, 
Or do I rebel? Or do I just be like, that's it, see you later, alligator, don't like the way you lead in this town, and move on? I made a decision right then and there. No, he's my boss. I'll stand by him. And I know God. And I know God's bigger than Pastor Dan. He's actually quite a tall man. Anyway, you know, he's bigger. And so I, 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 I was like, okay, I'm doing it. It was hard. Who likes to be corrected here? Does anyone like that? Can, can someone put their hand? No, because I'm not, I don't, what's my hand doing in the air? No one likes to be corrected. It's a hard thing to have you, you know, chiseled. Though when we do get chiseled, right, Isaiah, we look pretty good. And Anyway, that's a different story. You, you know, no one likes that. I had this moment. But I stuck by Pastor Dan, I stuck by the church, and years later, as I grew in being a leader of a new quality, I look back and I go, wow, Pastor Dan, you made the best decision possible. He had so much more wisdom, I just couldn't see it then because I'm at this part of the journey and Pastor Dan's at this part of the journey. He's got a bigger, he's got to think of a church. Not only that, churches. And schools, there's so much that he's juggling, and he didn't get there by accident. And so I'm so glad that I was teachable in that moment, because what I wanted to do by my emotions would not have been the right thing to do. But because of it, I was able to increase in quality. You know, the world has this saying, if it doesn't break you, it only makes you stronger. That didn't come from the world. That came from the Bible. Check this out. Romans 5.3. The Bible's got all the wisdom in the world. Romans 5.3. Suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character hope. What amazing characteristics to have. Suffering, it's, it doesn't look good. It looks hard, but it's good over time. It can produce perseverance and character and hope. Now, Jesus never hid that it was going to be hard. But he gave us the way through every hard moment that we ever face. We can become the real deal as we follow him. As we follow him. You know, when you wake up to another day without a job, just follow him. Don't worry. Don't let worry be there. When you're facing a court case that might be, you, you think it's impossible to win, just follow him. When you hear a medical report that's in opposition to what you want, just follow him. When it's hard to get up in the morning, even because weather is bad, follow him. Be where he is. The disciples were amazing because he says it in his word that where I am, they must be. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, just be where Jesus Christ is. You'll be shaped, molded, crafted, and beautified. I didn't even know if beautified's a word. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> come on. It's beautiful. Check this out. In following him. We become the real deal. But how, Chris, when it seems so beyond me? And this is the beautiful part. Look at 1 John 4, 4. This gives me hope every single day. The one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. That's true. Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Do you know what's happening here, church? Is, is the, the apostles, 
They are telling us, they're talking to us about the new creation, the new state that we're in when you believe in Jesus Christ. He comes in you, and this is what comes in you. It's so good. If the Spirit, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bones, even your physical bones He gives life to. Because of his spirit who lives in you. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. This is what happens to a Christian. If you're a Christian, get so excited. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And we worry about things when we have the power that can raise anything back to life. No, we don't need to. doesn't mean that we won't. But you know what I'm saying. I'm just getting passionate because the word of God is so liberating. It's so beautiful. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. As I close, can we get the band up? Be late. Because it's so excited. This is a fresh revelation for me because I'm a young dad. Poor Ella. She's going to have so many stories about me recorded. Talking about her. Here's the thing, right? This is the thing about hardship, right? You see, Ella, a beautiful Ella, She got to the stage where she can start speaking and then she starts asking and demanding. She's at that stage in life. And what Eve and I want to do is we want to teach her how to say please and thank you. And did it happen straight away? No, did it happen in two days' time? No, did it happen in three months' time? No, in fact, we're still going through it today. But because we started quite a while ago, we are at a new place today where she does say please, she does say thank you, not every time, but it's all good because there's evidence there that the hardship is working. There is always evidence. There is always evidence in Jesus Christ. If you follow him, there will be evidence there that he is working and we are being molded into the real deal. Let's get some keys, Casey. This is how we do it. Pick up his word. Do it each day where you can. Just read a little bit more of him. Close the door and go somewhere quiet. Reflect over the things that he says about you. Oh, you're in me. All right, that's good. Praise him. Do you know what we do when we praise him? Come as early as you can, church. For anyone who's watching online, come in. Do you know when we sing with this team? Do you know what happens? I never want to miss one note. When we praise Jesus, we're actually praising words about him that will liberate us because we're reminded of him. Every time, could you imagine, you're like, I need, I need, there's an email coming, there's an email coming, there's an email coming. Oh, that's right. Remind yourself, I have a laptop. I can open up the email because the email can do it. Every time you read the Bible and read about Jesus Christ, He tells you what He can do and what you have access to. Read about Him. Read about you in Him. Praise Him. Sing the words of Him being your God, your deliverer, your healer, your miracle maker. We need to. Because as we follow Him, we change from glory to glory. Amen? Amen, church.